0: Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Well, I'm glad to be here today. Uh, as you may not know, I uh, used to pastor in Boulder. I was the pastor for 17 years there, and and retired in 2019. And uh, thought I was done. Thought I was done. And so when we were in pastoral transition, they said, "Well, would you consider preaching once in a while?" And I said, "I don't know." Uh, you know I I'm just tired I'm old I'm not that old but you know, and I don't know if God has anything for more for me to say because uh, I had you know preached preached a lot of sermons I think 800 sermons and so that night when I was going to bed um, the Lord gave me a scripture and he gave me a new understanding of it and so I woke up the next day and I thought well I guess the Lord does still speak to old guys, Um, and and of course, you know the scriptures, old guys get dreams, so that's really good, you you get sleep, and you get to be inspired at the same time. Um, So I'm just glad to be here today just to uh, share what God has put on my heart, and we're going to be continuing in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter chapter 9, it's a very familiar story. And this is going to be a participatory sermon, so I need you to engage, and I need you to put on different hats—not really real, real hat, metaphoric hats, metaphoric hats—during the sermon. So let's uh, let's read this very familiar story. Jesus stepped into a boat and crossed over, and came to his own town. So men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to men." So you probably heard this story before in in a, in a more dramatic version. Uh, this is the same story where uh, these men that brought the paralyzed man destroyed someone's roof. You remember that story, where they climbs up and they cut a hole in the roof and lower the guy down. Same story. Matthew leaves that part out. Uh, Luke tells the same story. Uh, and mentions the roof uh, problem, but then emphasizes that uh, Jesus has the Spirit. So Luke was really into the Spirit. So there's slight differences if you read them. You'll say, okay, well, I guess that's the same story. But there's a part that's the same. And the part that's the same is kind of the main point. The part that's the same is Jesus forgiving the man's sins, healing him, and making the teachers of the law very angry. So that's the main point this morning. So uh, we can have a closing prayer now. (laughs) Now, I want to drill down because I need your help, and I need you to participate as one of these groups. Well, actually, I want you to do both of the groups. I was going to have one side be... The crowd and the other side. there's hardly one on this side. so I'm going to have all of you put position put yourself in the position of the crowd. Okay, and let's drill down and let's figure out why they were so excited and if you have something to say, show it. Okay, to so the crowds. who were these people? Well, these were, These were Jesus's friends and family. Jesus lived in Capernaum. He was born in Nazareth, but um, he didn't really spend a lot of time there because they didn't like him. Uh, So he was in Capernaum. That's where his disciples were mainly called. Some of them were fishermen on the Lake of of Galilee. And uh, so when he came home, it's like, oh wow, Jesus is back. Let's gather around and let's just be with him. We, we like Jesus. He's lots of good things. You know, he's well-spoken of. Um, uh, find out where he's been. Uh, see his disciples. They're all here with us. You know, um, they all have family and friends and stuff. So they're all gathering together. And Jesus is teaching, and, and then he heals this man, forgives his sins, and it's very exciting. And there are two emotions that... The scriptures say they displayed Uh, the first is fear now you don't really get that but if you look at the word the word is phobias like if you have a phobia so so kind of their emotion from seeing this event this guy Lower down from the ceiling, Jesus forgives his sins, there's comes kind of a commotion, gets up and walks. They're kind of like afraid, but not afraid in the sense that you know something bad's gonna happen. Afraid in the sense that this man is is overwhelming me. And they it's display a second emotion: praise. It says they praise God. But we know from, um, from Jewish practice, no one ever said, praise God, because they couldn't actually mention the name of God. So this was an emotion they held in their heart. Somewhere between fear and praise. And we kind of, have, we kind of translate that as, awesome now we know that those kinds of emotions are usually expressed during sporting events so in the Broncos game today I don't know who they're playing um, every play they're in between those two poles fear and and praise they could really mess up badly or they could do something exciting, and that's kind of uh, Russell Wilson's whole life. Come down to the end of the game, there's two seconds left, and he throws some spectacular play. So this is how Jesus appeals to the crowd. So you're the crowd now. You see this? What? How are you? How are you going to respond? Okay, we got one response. Okay, now that's a different response. So they weren't really they weren't really looking at the content of what Jesus was doing; they were looking at the emotions. Jesus is is overwhelming us. He's kind of making us afraid, but we're excited. He's really good, but, uh, you know. And so their emotions, and some of you are not emotional people, so I don't, like, hold that against you. I I thought Jay would stand up and do something. But anyway. I appreciate the comments from this side. So, they did something that um, I think is a good inspiration when you see the work of Jesus. It says they, um, exousia, they granted him authority. They looked at him as someone with the right to speak these things. Now, it doesn't say they understood the theology. It doesn't say they, they uh, understood the issues that he was dealing with. They didn't understand. They didn't say they have analyzed this paralyzed man's life, and he was worthy of these things that Jesus was saying. They didn't know anything about that. They just looked at Jesus and said, you have an authority here that we really appreciate, and we accept that about you. And this was something that the first word, that first time that happened was at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that we had a couple of weeks ago. They said, they looked at him and they said, you have something. You have an authority that our other religious leaders don't seem to have. Now, this is several weeks later, or later in the story, and they're saying, somewhere between fear and praise, you inspire us, and we will give you the right to be the man in charge. We put our trust in you. We put our faith in you. And I think that's probably what motivated the the men to bring this paralyzed man to jesus in the first place because jesus had already exercised that and people had already responded in that way and so is that good or bad well i hope that's good for you that even if you don't understand the issues that jesus is even addressing you don't understand the entire backstory of this b- paralyzed man's life. You can say, I'm just going to trust God in the form of Jesus. So that's one, that's one personality, one person, one perspective. Now let's delve into the second one. And I want everyone to do this. Some of you have beards. You can just do this. These are the teachers of the law. When I was in graduate school, I had to take an oral exam to get my Ph.D. and and I was really quite nervous. And so I grew a beard. So I could sit while they were answering me questions asking me questions and I can just play with my beard. And uh, that that seemed to work really well. Uh, I didn't answer very many questions if you know anything about oral exams you they ask you questions until you can't answer any more than they finish well they finished after one round of questions every so it's like but the beard helped me because I got one round good Um, so these are the teachers of the law now now they're not looking so much at the emotions they're not looking around and saying wow the crowd is so excited I should really get into this too they're saying, what's this fellow talking about? What is he teaching? Is this right, according to our perspective? And we know that their perspective was Jesus was wrong. So who are these people that, had, that think they have this authority to judge And evaluate Jesus well the scriptures call them the teachers of the law their role came about from the time of Ezra and Nehemiah when the Jewish people went back from exile came back to Jerusalem and they knew nothing about their own culture they had been in these foreign lands for for uh, decades and they all came back, and Ezra said, well, we're going to read what God requires of you. And so they started reading the law, and then they needed people to explain it to them. And so the teachers of the law as a group of people came about during that era, and, and so now it's, it's uh, four or 500 years later, and they've maintained this tradition of explaining the law. And so they were very highly regarded in some sense. You may know one of these uh, men's name from the New Testament who was a uh, teacher of the law, Gamaliel. He was the one that stood up and and said, uh, don't get so excited about these disciples. People come and go all the time, say all kinds of weird things, but in the end their work doesn't mean anything. So he said that about the apostles. And so he was highly regarded. So he was a teacher of the law. He was known for his interpretation. So there's a whole class of people. And they had to kind of keep their thumb on what's going on in their country. And so they uh, would go around and involve themselves in any new teacher or any synagogue that came about to make sure people were on the right track. Uh, they didn't really have, at that time, like a legal uh, portfolio or something, they could say, hey, according to our judgments, we interpreted the scripture this way. They didn't have a commentary that they unrolled. It was all memorized. So they had an oral tradition. This was later written down in the Mishnah, in other Jewish writings. So we know how this evolved and what, uh, uh, what it looked like. So, we can look at this whole situation from a Jewish point of view. So, first of all, um, a paralyzed man. How would they view simply a paralyzed man? Well, there was a ruling backed up by a legal tradition that a paralyzed man must be guilty of a sin. So that was the presumption. Here's a guy, um, paralyzed, I don't know, really know his story, we don't know where he came from, or he was born that way. It, the word that's used for paralyzed doesn't really imply that he was a cripple from birth, but he was simply paralyzed. So we don't really know, but it doesn't really matter there must be a sin involved. So there was the presumption, if you're sick, deformed, ill, whatever, we can link that back to a sin, whether you committed it, maybe it was your parents committed it, maybe it was from the history, maybe you didn't even know you committed it, maybe it just something just evolved in your life. So that was their first legal foundation. Um, Secondly, they understood that sin must be dealt with, and so they had a yearly ritual called Yom Kippur, and you may have heard of this, This it's something that Jewish people still do, and it's a certain day of the calendar, you repent, you offer sacrifice in Jesus' time, Uh, you forgive, you make amends, you decide Never again will I do this sin. Okay, well, how does that work for us? Uh, Well, uh, you're a teacher of the law now, so put your teacher of the law hat on. You don't really want to look too closely at you, so it's much easier to look at other people, right? Uh, So you've taken care of your sins. However, There was a ruling that said Yom Kippur only took care of the sins between you and God, even though you made amends to everyone else. Uh, That holy day, which we prescribe as the way to take care of your sins, only applies to sins between you and God. So what other kinds of sins are there? Well, there's sins between you and another person. So, well, how do I take care of that? Well, that's where the teachers of the law came in. They said, well, let me tell you how you're going to take care of that. Um, some of these are, might be up on the, on the screen here. Um, you have to ask for forgiveness. So you have to go to a person uh, and uh, if you've offended them, you need to Ask them. Right? I mean, we kind of believe that now, right? You're the teacher of the law, do you think? Are you agreeing with this? Well, I'm reading your, I'm reading your scriptures now. So you, as the teacher of the law, you better say, Yeah, if someone offends me, I better, they better say they're sorry. What if they only say they're partially sorry? Well, there is a ruling that says... I don't have to forgive them unless I know they're serious. They have to appease me. Now, there's an, another um, ruling. Let's see. They have to pay compensation if they cause me harm. You know, you mess with, mess with me. I missed a day's labor. You have to pay me. So this was the Jewish way of thinking. Uh, this was the presumption that people in the Jewish faith would follow these rules. And so, um, you have to pay compensation. Well, what happens if, if you ask me and I say, no, I don't forgive you? Well, there was a ruling that says, if you ask three times, And I still said no. Then you were forgiven anyway. Um, Of course, I'm not going to necessarily like you anymore. But you were forgiven. I couldn't do anything about it. Then there are situations when no forgiveness is possible. You offend me by slandering me. You can't ever take that back. And so I am not required in the law to forgive you. And if you're not forgiven, you're still in sin. Ha ha. Now you should be stroking your beards even more now. You should be saying, wow, this gives me a lot of power. Now, if you were a rabbi, There are special situations for rabbis. If you offended a regular person, you would get forgiven, unless you slandered them, you would get forgiven after three times. Here's what it says about a rabbi. The Torah scholar should avenge and bear a grudge like a serpent. So in other words, if you were a Torah scholar, teacher of the law, if you offended, if I offended them, they could say, I don't ever have to forgive you. Ha ha, you'll always be in sin. Wow. Now, some some of the Torah scholars um, said, well, wait a minute, that's not right. God forgives us. They even took it to another extreme. They said, we're just going to forgive people every day because we want long lives. We know that this builds up within us and this will just cut our lives short. And so there were some, you might say more righteous, that would say, Let's just forgive everyone. They don't even have to ask us. I'm just going to go to bed every day and say, before I go to bed, now I lay me down to sleep. I forgive everyone. Amen. Whatever. And so some of them did that because they realized, wow, this other way is really burdensome. But this was not the uh, normal situation. So in walks the paralyzed man, or he doesn't walk in, he's carried in. So what are they thinking? Guilty? Anyone not say guilty? He's guilty. He's just guilty. Uh, you know, if he had not been guilty, he would have already taken care of this at Yom Kippur. Well, maybe God wants them to say suffering a little bit longer, but maybe there's a reason. And if he didn't make amends to his fellow uh, peers in society, well, maybe he needs to do that. But what if he was paralyzed because he offended one of us? Well, what do you think now? You're thinking, let him suffer some more. There's no skin off of me. He must deserve maybe God is using his suffering to redeem him now the reason why I ask us to take on that role because as Christians uh, this doesn't quite seem compatible with what we know of forgiveness right But how many of us have at one time in our lives said exactly these things? Now, what did Jesus do? Did he say, paralyzed man, tell me your story. Let me me tell you where you went wrong. Now, are you truly sorry are, are you going to make it up to that person? Because if you don't, God's not going to make it up to you. So let's hear your confession. Let's see your bitter tears. Let's see weeping. Let's see you... Oh, I know you're sorry this time. Last time you had a little smile on your face. This time, I really see both sides of your mouth are down. You're even drooling a little bit. Okay. Good. You've met my criteria for forgiveness. Bam. I forgive your sins. Now get up and go home. We see exactly the opposite in Jesus. And this was his whole pattern. He simply looked at the man and said, I see your faith in me as someone with authority. I see that you've come and your friends agree that you think I can take care of this. And your faith has done the trick, and you are healed. Now imagine, while you're stroking your beard, you realize this whole thing is going on. What did Jesus just do to your livelihood? You had a whole four or five hundred years of canon law on your side. You had a privileged position in society that got to decide whose apology was acceptable. And you had the privilege, if it was against you, of telling someone their sin was going to consume them forever. And what did Jesus say? He essentially said to them, You're out of a job you will no longer stand between the sinful people, which is, by the way, all of us, and God's forgiveness. And, of course, what was their response? Well, let's hear it. When you don't like someone, what they've said, what do you say? Blasphemy. You're, You're of the devil. So what's our takeaway? Well, I think there's a couple things that we can can take with us from this short passage. Number one, there was one thing really good about the crowd's perspective. One thing, even though they had no knowledge, they didn't even understand what Jesus was talking about forgiveness, they knew Jesus had authority. They knew he was in charge. Unlike all of their other leaders, we can really put our faith in him. We can trust him. He will do the right thing. And so our takeaway is to take that attitude even though the crowd didn't understand the theology of forgiveness, and say, how much do I put authority in Jesus? Now, there's a word that goes along with authority. And how many of you uh, raise your hands after I tell you this word like it? Authority is coupled with this word submission anyone like that word if jesus has the authority what's our response our response is to listen to him and not only to listen to him but to do what he says if jesus truly has authority and we accept it, then we submit to it. That means my ideas have to be subservient to his ideas. My priorities have to be second to his priorities. And especially my ideas of forgiveness have to be secondary to his ideas that's a that's a big challenge secondly we can look at human suffering how do we look at human suffering well how did how did this paralyzed man look at human suffering he had a lot of stuff poured onto his life he thought he uh, was paralyzed because of a sin he thought he was guilty maybe his parents were guilty what a what a horrible way to live your life that your disability your injury was maybe even god's punishment to you and that god would never take that away Do we feel that people in unfortunate situations maybe even deserve it? Or are we like the friends who came around the paralyzed man and were willing to assist him to to get some sort of relief? Now, that's a challenge. Because that cost us. These friends had to leave their work. I'm sure this, maybe this man was really small. But maybe, what if he was my size? After a few miles of carrying this dude, they would say, you need to go on a diet, dude. And imagine they had to climb on top of a roof with this guy and lower him down. That's going way out of your way to deal with someone who society thinks is just an awful sinner. So that challenges me to say, I need to step forward. Because this is an example of what it means to be a person of faith. Finally, I think this passage says to me, is my takeaway, how do I participate in Jesus's ministry of forgiveness? It's a ministry. Do we first accept that God has forgiven us because he freely extends it to us? Or do we say, you know, God forgives me because I have really... I've said I'm sorry a hundred thousand times. And I've made up for all those bad things that I did in my life. And because I've done those things, God says, You know, you're right. I forgive you. You've worked really hard to earn this forgiveness. And by golly, you're forgiven. He comes to us and sees these human beings need help. And we raise our hands and say, you're the only one that can help us. And at that moment, we've received what he's already offering. Now what about the second part? How do we participate in the ministry of forgiveness to others? Jesus said, after the resurrection, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed in them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Then he said these words, which is a commission for forgiveness, a ministry of forgiveness. John, I think it's chapter 20, verse 23. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Let me read that again. If you forgive someone their sins... Their sins are forgiven. Now that's a very interesting verse that says that we participate in a ministry of forgiveness. Why? Because Jesus has already forgiven. We have to proclaim that in Jesus' name that forgiveness is already offered to you Paul echoed this when he said, if anyone has a complaint against another, hold a grudge and make him suffer. No. He said, forgive each other. How? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So, we cannot sit back stroking our metaphorical beards and saying I'm not quite appeased enough you haven't paid me back enough you haven't shed enough tears you haven't tried to figure out how to undo everything you've done because that's not what God did for us his forgiveness was free And only the only requirement is we step forward with faith and say, you are the man of authority. I accept what you offer. In a little bit, we'll be praying the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, you say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those sin against you also note that right after the Lord's Prayer are these words if you forgive other people when they sin against you your heavenly Father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their sins your father will not forgive your sins so as we pray this prayer in a few moments Maybe in your mind you can say someone's name to yourself. You can think of someone who's offended you. You can maybe even done a great harm. Maybe has never apologized, never has made it up to you. And you can say, in Jesus' name, I forgive you. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you continue to speak to your people. You continue to challenge us. You continue to work through us to transform the world. We just pray for your help today. In Jesus' name, amen.